right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a low right now. You don't got time that. All right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson with Nick Springer. Hey. And on today's edition of the show, we're going to be joined Dude, by... Why did you do what? that? Why did I do what? You totally changed what you normally say. What? You didn't say what you normally say. What did I do wrong? I don't know. It just it, it was weird. Okay. And I was Sorry. messed up. Okay. I don't know what I did. <laughs> uh, David Lesky of Inside the Crown is going to join the show coming up at 3.40 here. We have Case of the Mondays coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. Travis Goff, Brett Yormark Audio coming up later in the show. And uh, we'll even have a stupid scale coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. First, though, everybody wants to play for Kansas, apparently. Yes. Of the weekend is what we found out. Yes. Uh, and a little today. I want to play for Kansas. Mm. What sport? I, um, well, I think if I was to play for the football team, I'd have to be a kicker. I don't think <laughs> can I you play. kick, though? Well, no. I can walk <laughs> on. I don't think they just let people walk on. It's not like, yeah, hey, would you like to join? Sure. Well, why not? Because they you still have to try out to walk on. Like Okay, well, then I would... Try out to be a kicker, I guess. It doesn't I can't sound play like you position. make it. I can't play another position. I'm just saying. It doesn't sound too great. I mean, I'd get broken in half if I played <laughs> another position. Well, uh, KU basketball landed a transfer guard, Chris Carter. KU football has landed three commits in the class of 2024. I want to start right there with the football side of things. The latest one was today, Austin Alexander. He's the biggest of the commits in terms of recruiting ranking. Alexander is a six foot one corner from Marion Catholic in Chicago Heights, Illinois. He uh, is the number 40 corner on the 24-7 composite. Top 500 nationally, he becomes the top commit for KU in the class of 2024. Over the weekend, they got commitments from Harrison Utley, an inside offensive lineman, 6'3", 280 pounds, from Norman North High School in Norman, Oklahoma. Top 1,000 national kid on the 24-7 composite and the 70th at his position. And they also added Ja'Cory Stewart, a 6'210 linebacker from Milton High School in Alpharetta, Georgia. He does not have a 24-7 composite ranking yet. Some of the other sites have uh, yet to catch up on him. But on his 24-7 sports-specific rating, he is listed as a three-star with a grade of an 86, which, uh, out of out of comparison, Harrison Utley, who, again, top 1,000 recruit, is listed as a grade of an 86. So um, you're talking about adding some serious kind of firepower here. Actually, scratch that. Utley is listed as an 85. So theoretically, you added three like top 1,000 or top 1,000-ish recruits, which I talk about all the time being yeah. kind of a big deal. Yeah. Uh, this this is a very big deal and a very big uh, commitment weekend for, for KU football. They had a bunch of guys visiting. There could be even more players who are going to end up committing to KU uh, who went to this visit or now KU is the front runner because of what happened over this week. I mean, that is a heck of a haul to start things off. Oh, absolutely. And uh, John Kirby, who we had on the show a couple weeks ago, uh, had kind of alluded to the fact that June was going to be a major, major month for KU recruiting-wise. 
because they were going to have a lot of guys visiting, which th- all three of these guys visited and then committed. So they were going to have a lot of guys visiting. There was going to be a lot of on the high school side happening, and that so far has come to fruition with KU being very, very active in terms of bringing in high school guys and and you know recruiting them and obviously getting some commitments as well now. So, yeah, this is massive. And I think, I think what's really great about this is you are seeing KU actively capitalizing on what they accomplished last season, right? This is not a went to a bowl game for the first time in 15 years. Now we're just going to, you know what? We're just going to hang out. We're just going to, we're just going to be happy. We're going to rest on our laurels. No, you, none of that is happening, right? They're realizing, Hey, this is an opportunity now based off what we did last season to very much lay the bricks of the foundation for going even further in the near future. And it starts with this recruiting, with this with this recruitment, which is at the high school level, which I think is fantastic. Uh, I've I've kind of alluded to this a little bit, but I've I've continued to wonder uh, about the fact that in previous iterations of K football with previous coaches, we've seen some coaches feel like they're because of the the talent gap between KU and other schools at the time in the Big Twelve, were maybe trying to focus heavily on getting transfers or bringing in guys that they thought could could make an impact right away to try to bridge that talent gap. What you're seeing now with KU is that's not an issue. That's not an issue anymore. And what that I think what that does is it frees up KU to really focus heavily on high school recruiting and bringing in more high school level guys that then that's kind of the next step in terms of building a very successful program. So I absolutely love this. I think it's fantastic for KU and and Jordan Peterson, I think, has been a guy that's been heavily involved in a couple of these recruit, a couple of this recruitment. I think, and Austin Alexander specifically, uh, which is phenomenal. He was also he's also the one that's kind of, I, I don't know if pioneered is too strong of a word, but sort of established the, the the KU pipeline to Phoenix, Arizona, where they've gotten some some interest there, and they've gotten a couple commits as well. So he's been very very impressive on the recruiting trail, and uh, I, I mean, there's really not enough you can say positively about KU, and at this at this stage. It doesn't really matter if any of these guys end up working out and becoming talented players for Kansas. Really, I think it's just the optics of it right now, which is KU is out and they are getting players that five, ten years ago they would not get. Or they would maybe get one in one recruiting class. And you've gotten three in the span of 72 hours. Right. So I I think the... uh the Alexander kid, the corner, he was going back. I, I thought Devin Neal was actually going to be ranked higher. I, I could have remembered him being higher. Uh, he actually does become the best recruit KU has gotten since Stephen Parker back in 2019, who uh, now is, I believe, at Incarnate Word. Yes. Yeah. He yes, uh, was season, I think, in, number maybe. 333 nationally. And you go back a year before that, the next highest ranked recruits the KU has gotten since, because Alexander's 411, Neal was 421. Um, you have to go back to 2018. If you want to go before Stephen Parker, um, and you have two guys, Corian Harris, who's a four-star, brought in with a ton of talent, didn't work out in the end. Puka Williams, that name's a pretty big one for KU fans. Oh yeah. Um, so this is obviously big, but yeah, it's it's the overall class as a whole. It's the they have six top thousand recruits now. As I mentioned, with um, I mean, you probably had six top thousand recruits in like the span of ten years from. It's more than you like think. It's more than you think. I, so I look back; they had five last year. Um, the last time they had six in a season was 2020, and that was the class headlined by Kobe Bryant, LJ Arnold, right? You got some really good players out of that recruiting class. Um, I think you even have Jalen Daniels. He wasn't one of the top 1,000 guys, but like, yeah, that was a really good recruiting class in the end. Um, the last time they had seven in a season, you have to go back to 2014, 
and it's it's the wave of talent you're bringing in over the last two years, though, because five last year, six this year, that gives you 11. The last time that KU had 11 top 1,000 recruits join their roster over consecutive recruiting classes, you have to go back a decade. And then on top of it, you add what I was just kind of talking about there with the idea that, um, you know, I, I guess in the case of Jonathan Kamara, we don't totally know where he's going to rank as part. Like, he was the one who committed from from Arizona a week or two ago from uh, Desert Edge. We don't know where he's going to rank because his composite ranking isn't out. I don't even know if his 24-7 sports ranking is out. But Ja'Cory Stewart, as I mentioned, he's basically, by grade, once they get the recruiting rankings from the other sites, he could be a top 1,000 recruit. So you could add another one to that, and... They could still double up the size of their recruiting class. like, that, yeah. And that's what's crazy about this, too. They're not done yet. They only have yeah. eight commits. Oh, not even close to being They're going to get to you know around 15 or so. And what's crazy is they're already to that level of having that many top 1,000 players of like any recruiting class we've seen at KU over the past you know decade or two. And they're going to add more players. And on top of it, they might end up with more players just to begin with when some of those past classes were bringing in 25 guys. right? This current iteration with the transfer portal... KU will bring in 15, and then they'll use, say, the other 10 on the transfer portal. So they're they're bringing in absolute quality. And I think it's funny because as I think back to when Lance Leipold was first brought in, and especially maybe you see some of the, I don't know, the, the first recruiting class, and it's it's not like ranking super high. I never really cared, to be honest. Um, and I've, I've always kind of maintained this, that I don't really care. Like, I okay, I care about recruiting rankings from a football standpoint from – like, if you're top 25, like, that's a big deal. Or if you're, you know, you're Alabama, you're number one. If you're number five, whatever, like, it is a big deal. But to me, the difference between being, say, the 40th best team in recruiting versus the 70th best, I don't think it's that much. I think it is all about development at that point. So I've never really cared that much about, like, oh, well, Leipold's class is ranked 68th, and maybe this David Beatty one was ranked 57th. Like, I, I don't really care. It's all about development. David Beatty couldn't do that. Lance Leipold and his staff do that, right? Um, but... You start to get my attention now because this is a staff, this is a coach in Lance Leipold who is known for development, who is known for getting kids in the right situation, who is known for maximizing talent with what he has, and he is like out recruiting even the guys from the past right now, which maybe were known, like in the case of David Beatty and Les Miles, as guys that weren't developing super well, but were recruiting pretty well from Kansas standards, and he's like out recruiting them too in addition to being a better coach, being a better, I don't know, like... Uh, CEO, bringing in the assistant coaches, having continuity, being a better developer, like that is a huge deal to me. Yeah, to me, it just comes back to the fact that KU is now making inroads in A, new recruiting areas and getting new talent, but B, the biggest thing that I keep thinking about with this is just the fact that you are capitalizing on this positive momentum that you've generated, right? This is not just a one-off, went to a bowl game, and now we're just going to go back into obscurity and be bad again, right? This is not just a this is not just a one year little thing. This is this is clear that there is now a building towards even further success in the future, right? And and obviously you're still in the infancy, so there's still a lot of things that need to happen for you know you want to see that next step taken hopefully this season and whatnot. But but the fact that KU is has clearly taken advantage of what they've accomplished last season and they've turned it positively on the recruiting trail. They've turned it positively within their program. You know, in the spring, what was the one message we heard so much of, which was, you know, we're not going to be content with what we did last season. We're going to take another step forward. That was what a lot of the players were saying in the spring when we were talking to them during spring ball and whatnot. So it's very clear that 
this is simply but a step onto hopefully even further success in the future, which I think is really exciting because it does feel like in the past with K football, when it, whether it whether it was getting a big commit from a recruit or whether it was you know getting a big win, it so often felt like just a one off. It felt like just a flash in the pan. It felt like a, we're going to celebrate this small victory and then that's it, right? Nothing else follows after that. That's not what this is. That's not what's happening right now with KU. What's happening with KU right now is very, very clear, and you know you can see the vision going into the future with what KU is developing in terms of their high school recruiting, in terms of what they already have in their program, and in terms of where they think they can they can go as early as this season and looking in the next you know three, four, five years. So that's what most impresses me about that's what most impresses me about this situation with Lance Leipold is. You know, there's there is no, oh, we're gonna kick back and kick our feet up because we went six and six for the first time and went to a bowl game for the first time in 15 years. There's none of that. There's none of that. There's head down, keep moving, get some big high school commits, look to build on it coming into this season, and I, I that's just very exciting. And I don't know how you can be a KU football fan and not be really over the moon with how things are developing over the past 12 months, going back to last season, what happened, and then going into this into the spring and into the summer and now hopefully looking forward to this upcoming season like it's just it it's just incredible. Yeah, it is. The one thing that becomes interesting here. I don't I don't want to be Debbie Downer, but I'm just going to bring up the scenario because it is something that has happened in the past and to be clear, I'm not saying this is going to happen. I don't expect it to happen, but it's something that adds to the importance of doing well this year. Um during past seasons, it was easy to sell hope during, especially during the off season. Yes, you know, you maybe finish two and ten one year, and then you get to the off season, and that's when you were able to bring on some of those, like when Jamar Chase, like for instance, <laughs> and you were able to. <laughs> oh know. yeah, but then all of a sudden, uh, you start playing the games. Yep, you end up going three and nine or two and ten, and yep, some of these kids decommit. Now and then you're just recycled back to correct. Yep. And so this Kansas team is set up that they should not be in a situation where they go, you know, two and ten or three and nine or yeah. something like that happens where it gets these kids to decommit. But what happens if Kansas does take a step back? Oh, what listen, if they do go four and eight? You know, listen, there, there's I a get, lot of pressure on you to you to continue to make bowl games now to not just win games and be fun for fans, but to keep <laughs> the recruits coming in, right? Listen, I get it. I get it. What you just described is what probably most KU fans have felt over the past fifteen years where there's hope in the offseason. Then you get smashed. Then all the progress you felt like you made from the previous offseason washed away by other decommitments or whatever or however, right? Then it happens all over again. It's a vicious cycle, okay? But does it not feel different? Does it not feel different right now, today? Yeah, no, I, I think it does feel different. I'm just saying. I understand where you're coming from, though. If they go 4-8. and eight, No, I get it. Right. I, I totally understand. And it, and I think it's easy as a longtime KU fan to let that to let that thought slip into your mind. What my thoughts is, and what I kind of said last year too, is you just got to enjoy it. You just you just got to enjoy it. Period. That's just how it goes. Okay. Enjoy the ride. All right. Well, uh, KU basketball also added someone over the weekend. That would be one Chris Carter. He is a uh, guard from Cal State University Northridge. Also goes by CSUN. He has six foot four. Okay, I have a question. Yeah. Why do they Why do they go by CSUN if it's Cal State University Northridge? Are you serious? Isn't that what it is? Yeah. Why Why would that not be CSUN? Oh, wait. Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> okay. Brain fart. All right. Um, he's I would a, move on from that one. 
Is a six foot four? I thought you were like pranking me. I thought there was something I was no, no, missing no. there. Right. I got confused. Is a six foot four, hundred eighty pound guard from Indio, California. He played on the same AAU team as uh, Marcus Adams did. Went to Shadow Hills High School. He redshirted his one year at Cal State Northridge. It is a D one program, but obviously, if you're redshirting at Cal State Northridge, you're not expected to be someone who comes into Kansas and you know makes a big impact or anything like that. Uh, now he's a really good athlete. You see some some videos of him throwing down some crazy dunks. He was really good high jumper at the high school level, so you know he's got those hops. But yeah, this is a, a preferred walk on to come in uh, for KU, and um, you know it's it's something where it gives Kansas a little bit of a like they don't have to worry about it affecting their scholarship numbers. They don't have to worry about it affecting like. They can basically knock out another scholarship in theory if this is the last guy they wanted to add while still slightly dipping their toe into somebody who has at least D1 caliber something because that's what led him to being kind of at CSUN, so to speak. So I don't know. I um it It's hard to go too much into this. Like there, There's not like a huge scouting report out there or anything, but I think that it adds to my claim from last week, greatest walk-on group that KU has ever had. I think that's, I think that's pretty much... Confirmed. Okay, if you, uh, the starting lineup of, of your walk-ons. Because um, right now so it seems Jake. like the Charlie McCarthy thing is up in the air, whether he's going to play or be a manager or what. Um, so you have, yeah, Jankovic, Carter, Carter. Uh, the Justin Cross kid, the, the Juco transfer, Dylan Wilhite, who's 6'9", 240, and then uh, who are we missing? Um, Wilder Evers. Yeah, Wilder Evers. I feel like we're missing somebody else, too, because I could have sworn they have six McCarthy, people. But we're not sure. No, I think that McCarthy would make it seven. Um, nonetheless. Are, are we missing somebody? I don't think we are. I think we are. Um, I don't think we are. Okay. <laughs> Do you think that lineup, if that was in like the MIAC, does it win that conference? Mm, no. No? Unless, does it Bill, compete? Unless, unless Bill Self is coaching them. Then yes. Okay. They probably compete, I would think. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. So, two thoughts. Number one, Chris Johnson light. That's what Chris Carter is. Mm. But you don't agree with that? Chris, Chris Johnson was a top 100 One thing, recruit. light. This kid, light. Very emphasis on the light. Okay, this kid redshirted at Cal State Northridge and probably would have had to transfer down to a D2. Again, good player, good athlete, like good player for what you're getting as well. Okay, but what I'm saying is from a perspective. This is probably one of the more he's talented play the same walk-ons. number of minutes that Chris Johnson played. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. I mean, so this, there you go. this is probably one of the more talented walk-ons you've had over the last, whatever, decade and a half. Right. And number two, which you I, already I don't know what that's saying, but number two, you already highlighted it. But the fact that he's a walk on and not yeah, a scholar doesn't mean much. My so, big question is, whatever. does this mean KU's done? Does this mean KU's done? What does this mean for Bo Aldridge? See, 2024. We've been asking that question since like I know, May. And we don't have an answer. Um, but like this doesn't solve any issues of being like, hey, if somebody if Kevin McCuller got hurt or if KJ Adams got hurt, what are you going to do? Nope. It does give you more depth and it does, does give you a better practice squad. And and maybe this is like Chris Carter does feel like if you're ranking the the walk-ons in terms of which walk-on would have the best chance to eventually later in their career develop into somebody who is at least a rotation player. Like I know that sounds a little too much, but we have seen it happen. Connor Tehan, Christian Moody, like it has happened before. Um, so I mean, if you're ranking it based on the likelihood of of if anybody were to do that, this kid probably goes to the top of the list because of the athleticism. But yeah, I mean, it doesn't solve any of those past issues. I guess the question yes. becomes there, does KU view this as we basically added an 11 scholarship player without having to put him on scholarship, right? Probably. You know? But probably. does that move the needle at all in case of injury? I don't think it does. No. 
No, it doesn't move the needle at all. Right. I don't think. So I don't think they I think should is, be done, but I, I kind of feel what, like it I might think what be. you're saying from KU is I think they're trying to employ a strategy to mitigate the idea of guys coming in, sitting on the bench for one year and transferring out. Yeah. Because if you are coming in, if you're Chris Carter, if you're coming in, you're not transferring out of KU probably. No. Unless well, unless it's a, unless it's like a unless it's like a Kyle Cuff situation. I mean, A, you're like, using hey, your you one free transfer. Although I don't know how that works if you become a walk on, if that doesn't count to your transfer. Um, but you know what I'm saying, right? Like, I, I, it feels like to me KU is employing a strategy sure. in which they're trying to mitigate that. But they're also, trying to bring it's in guys, so it doesn't matter to the scholarships anyway. No, I know, but mm-hmm. I'm just saying they're, they're trying to bring in guys that they have a chance to develop without them more than likely bolting after a year if they don't play. Yeah. Yeah, but I also think if, you know, if he was going to be on scholarship, I don't think they take him. Because even though there would have been the same idea of, well, he's a kid we could develop, I think they also want to be at a sp- point where they're loose enough to be like, we can boot a kid if we have to to open up a scholarship. <laughs> but because he's not on scholarship, you don't have to worry about that. Well, yeah, um, obviously for KU, it's better if he's not on scholarship than if he is. Yeah, of right? course. Of course. That goes for any case with anybody, right? If Hunter Dickinson yeah. was like, I want to play without scholarship, like, cool. All right, sweet. An extra awesome. one to use, right? Fantastic. Um, yeah, so I, I don't know. This could mean they're done. I, I kind of get the sense that it's tracking that way, but we've thought that before, and then they weren't. So I don't know. <laughs> I, I honestly don't know. You don't want to hit the big red button that says they're done? I think they should add somebody, but will they? Hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> what if I were to just, if I just definitively say right now, they're done? What if I just do that? Sure. Okay. They're done. I'll buy it. All right. Hey, right there. Done. Nick Springer. They're done. Done. All right. Uh, we're going to talk to David Lesky in less than 15 minutes from right now. We got a little more uh, KU basketball audio coming up next. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. And we're joined now by David Lesky of Inside the Crown. You know, we, we here at RCST have have gone through a lot of uh, bad KU football seasons uh, over the past decade, which made this last season very fun. I, I was thinking about this earlier. I, I almost, I don't know, I kind of feel bad for you, David, That because uh, I was thinking about that as, as tough as it is getting through, you know, like a college football season when they're bad, it's 12 games. You watch 12 games over a two-week span, and now the Kansas City Royals have reached depths that I don't think any of us thought that they would reach this season. That is being in the same conversation with the Oakland A's who, you know, are hot randomly. They they just swept the Brewers. I think they've won like five games in a row. Um, but at the end of the day, the, the A's have been talked about all season as being literally one of the worst teams of all time in baseball history. Now the Royals are only two games better than them. I I don't know. Like like where do you go from here? You 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 had an awesome weekend review. You you made some poop jokes in there, which I think were very appropriate given the state of everything. I where do we go from here? You know, I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> it's it's bad. Um, so so here's here's the positives. I think um, the A's are so not so much less talented than the Royals, honestly, um, which makes it all the more confusing to be <laughs> to be completely honest. But like. They, they really, I mean, if you look up and down the roster, there, there's nobody on the A's who is as talented as Bobby Witt Jr. or MJ Malone okay, yeah. so or Salvador Perez. To like, that point, to that point, sorry to interrupt. If the A's yeah. offer their entire uh, 26-man MLB roster for Bobby Witt Jr., the Royals are probably turning that down, right? 
Oh boy, that's a really good question. I probably not. Um, I'm trying to think. I don't have the roster to open in front of. It's me. like Estiri Ruiz, I guess, is good, and I don't know, decent. He, though, he steals he bases is, he's just good <laughs> for the A's. Like, I don't. That's a really good question. Um, I'm not sure they do make that deal because they're DFAing like 23 of them, right? And then all of a sudden, it's a three for one deal, and is are those three worth it? Not probably. I mean, my gut is probably not. Which. Again, makes it all the more confusing and frustrating. And, you know, I I just don't really understand what's happening. Uh, I mean, I do on a very basic level. They are not playing well. Like, right? Bobby Witt Jr. swings at too many pitches. Um, MJ Melendez swings and misses too much. The Royals pitching staff can't get out. Like, the answer, I understand the answers. I just don't understand why the answers are happening the way they are. Um, and and to me, it, it, part of the problem, I think, is sometimes things just snowball. And you go from, you know, hey, this is just six games to ah, just 15 games. So it's just 30 to it's 50 to, oh, it's 65. <laughs> and, and, and you run into the situation where, just, it just feels like it's never going to end. And, and I think this is a very different situation, but I think back to, oh, oh, when was it, July last year when they couldn't score a run? And they just needed a bloop. Yeah, they just needed a bloop single. Salvador Perez got it in New York. I remember that game. They were down 3 nothing. They scored five in the inning. Ended up losing, whatever. But they scored some runs. The offense was fine for a while, all that. They need to luck into some wins. <laughs> I mean, they, they, they really, really do. I mean, they're, what, at 18 and 47, which is, oh, God, that sounds awful just to say. Um, but they they need they need to run into a pitching staff that can't throw a strike, and then when they do, it's down the middle, and they crush it. They need to uh, need a bloop single some wins. You know, they, they need to run into some wins because eventually, and I think they may have reached this point we've seen over the last week, losing just gets to them how much worse uh, does this I don't, I don't know is this whole uh, you mentioned the record 1847 like how much worse does it make it the fact that I, I guess which makes it worse is it that ryan o'hearn just blasted them over the weekend or is it that there's a draft lottery now and that there's a chance that they could still end up with like the fourth or fifth pick yeah, I don't actually have to look at the lottery um, because I don't remember how far it is they can mm-hmm. go down. But uh, maybe you've looked at it. But um, I think it's the Ryan O'Hearn part <laughs> because to, for for him, for that player to come up to the plate seven times and end up with a one thousand on base percentage with a double and a home. I mean, come on, people, what are we doing? Look, Ryan O'Hearn is not a good baseball player. I don't care what his numbers are. But the sample, he, he raised his OPS, I don't know the exact, I think it was like 185 points this weekend <laughs> or something. So that tells you the sample is too small. If you give Ryan O'Hearn 600 plate appearances, he's going to put up a 600 OPS. All right. I don't believe that Ryan O'Hearn is suddenly a good player because the Royals let him go. But man, that, that just stings. That, that is. I, I, that's that's like it, it, I mean Hunter Dozier is going to sign with somebody at some point. He's going to come up against the Royals and go eight for ten in the three game series with five home runs, and you're going to look at that and go, "What 
in the you know what mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um and i that 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 part really hurts it's just it adds it just puts salt in the wound it kicks you while you're down all that good stuff and you know it, this it kind of feels like this is one of those seasons that everything that can go wrong will and look it's happened I, royals farm report does a great job um tweeted the other day about some similarities to the 2016 Twins, I want to say, that lost 100-something games. Not a bad team. I mean, really, not a bad team at all. Not Well, talent-wise, but just everything went wrong, and it just snowballed on them. It was horrible. And uh, I can't one year or two years later, they won the division. So I, I, there is a part of this that is like, this is so bad that there is some regression to the mean that's going to come and maybe it won't come this year you know maybe it won't and and maybe next year there'll be a 70 win team on talent but win 84 games you go out every single thing went right i'm not mm-hmm. predicting that <laughs> i don't think it will but but like it it's it this feels like they're not i just don't think they're this bad is the thing i just i really don't i think that i, I think they may end up looking this bad in the end because well they do look this bad but they are, I think they're snake bit um, in a way. I think that they have, like I said, they've gotten to a point that it's just, it's hard to put the, put the cleats on every day, I feel like. Um, and, you know, they, they, they might just need a little break. I mean, it, which the good news is the all-star break is coming up. The bad news is there's like 30 games before. It. So <laughs> we'll, we'll see how that goes. Uh, by the way, the MLB draft lottery, yeah, I was just doing some more digging on it. And they basically, the 18 teams that don't make the playoffs, they lottery them for the top six picks in the draft. And if you're not one of those six teams, then it goes after that in order. So theoretically, if you have even the worst record, you could drop to as, as low as seventh. Okay, I thought I thought for some reason there was maybe, maybe it's NBA that yeah. there was a, a, a bottom level that the Royals could go that above better than seventh, but I guess not. So yeah, there you go. Um, last year they they had the fifth worst record and they're picking eighth. Yep. So um, again, you want to? I know it's just total random chance. So there's no regression to the mean there, but may, maybe that means that if they have the second worst record, they're going to pick first. In 2024, I don't know. <laughs> you would hope. You would hope. Uh, we we didn't get as much of a chance on on a positive note to talk Nick Prado last week. I, I think mentioned him for Player of the Week, but uh, now he's got at least one hit in eight of the last nine games. Uh, game right before that stretch, saw him collect three hits in a game. What have you seen from his game now that looks improved from when we saw him in the past? And what do you envision his future for the Royals being? Yeah, I think I think the big thing for him is he's just swinging less. Which, um, oh gosh, now I'm blanking on who it was. There was a Dodgers player in spring training who was hurt, and he wasn't allowed to swing a bat. He was playing second base. Oh, Gavin God, Lux? I can't think of his name. No, no, it was, oh, it, it might come to me. Um, it may not, but he, anyway, spring training, he, didn't, he couldn't swing a bat. And his first eight plate appearances, the pitcher knew he wasn't going to swing, and he walked four times. <laughs> that, oh, I think it was Miguel it, Vargas. Miguel Vargas. Yeah. Thank you. Yes, I could. I was totally blanking on that yep. name. Anyway, it, it was it was one of those things that really highlighted. 
just stop swinging. Just really stop swinging the bat. And the less you swing, the better things are going to be because players are so concerned with their stuff and velocity that a lot more often than you realize, they're going to throw four balls before they throw three strikes. So that's not to say you just go for the plate and say, I'm going to work a walk. But be selective. And Nick Prado has been selective. He is swinging less, and he's making a little more contact when he swings. Not a lot more. It's just that he's swinging less. He's swinging at bad pitches less. And, and the results are there. And it's been really nice to see. Well, it's uh, now three starts back to Daniel Lynch's return to the rotation. What are your thoughts on, on what he's been able to do? Um, I thought he looked really good again against Baltimore. I mean, he made um, – I, I don't even want to – I don't know. I was going to call it a mistake. I don't know if it was a mistake on the first pitch of the game. I think that, that – um, that, oh, my God, Austin Hayes was just ready. I was about to blank on Austin Hayes' name, too. And so he threw a fastball down the middle. How many first-pitch fastballs down the middle did we see in a game? And if you have a full slate of games, that means there's 30 first pitches, I would guess half of them are first-pitch fastballs down the middle. And I would guess two-thirds don't swing the bat. And that, this just goes totally contrary to what I just said about don't swing. <laughs> but um, I think that, that what, what he made that mistake and whatever, and then – um, he gave up a run in the second inning when, when he, he picked it off. I think it was, um, was it Hayes? No, I, it was, I can't remember who it was. Gunnar Henderson, I think he picked, he had picked off. And the Royals just, they might be the slowest team in baseball on those pickoff plays because it took forever. And then I'm pretty sure it was Henderson got to second base. And then I think it was the next batter scored on a single up the middle and it picked off. By the way, they lost that game by one. So you want to talk about why they're losing. Um, and then he gave another run, but I, I, he had 15 swings and misses. I thought his changeup looked just outstanding again. Um, he didn't throw a slider that much. His fastball looked good. Really, generally, I've been very pleased with Daniel Lynch. I'm not sure that we're ever going to see a guy flash number one um, from him. I, I, just, I just don't, I don't see a number one starter I think your ceiling is a solid number two, good number three, but you need five guys, so that's really okay. <laughs> and um, I'm I'm very encouraged by what we've seen from him so far. Uh, a couple weeks ago, it was well, it's been one start. I want to see more. And then it was well, it's been two. I want to see more. Now it's been three. Um, I still want to see more. <laughs> I don't I don't want to make a make a judgment and say, okay, Daniel Lynch is all of a sudden a guy you can count on for a rotation. But every start, it gets closer. And, and I thought he looked I thought he looked really good on Friday. I was very pleased with him. The exact opposite of how I thought about Brady Singer. <laughs> We're talking with David Lesky of Inside the Crown here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. And the uh, roster news of the day, Jackie Bradley Jr. got DFA'd for, I believe it's pronounced Dyrone Blanco. Uh, D- Blanco yeah. has awesome numbers at AAA. Uh, does he provide an, any hope moving forward? And, and what do you kind of make of the move as a whole? So... Uh, this is this is the the part where people would look at me and go, "Why do you have to kill my buzz?" Um, I like Blanco. Uh, he's a fourth outfielder. I don't I don't think he's a starter. Um, maybe I, I've been wrong before, but he he has a lot of speed. He has more power than he's shown in AAA. Um, but maybe he's. I, I haven't dug in very much on him honestly to see if maybe he changed his name a little bit. But um, he's running out of four hundred plus batting average on balls in play. So. Not likely to keep up, um, but also at the same time, 
he's a, he's a fast guy, so he should be a little bit higher than than typical. Um, really good defender, though. So where the Royals have had a lot of problems in the outfield, Dylan Blanco is is a he's an answer defensively, and if he can get on base and he's what is it? I think it's forty seven steals in forty nine games in AAA. He has the Omaha Club record for stolen bases in the season, and he got it on Saturday, wow. which was June tenth. <laughs> So um, he broke his own record from last year. So uh, he's going to run. Um, and now you add another speed element with Bobby Witt Jr. in the lineup. I think that, that can change some things. I, don't, I haven't looked specifically how many games they've lost because of their corner outfielders. Um, but I would bet it's not zero. <laughs> so um, defensively, that helps some things. Ultimately, yeah, I don't think he's a starting outfielder. Um, again, I hope I'm wrong. I hope that I hope that he can put up a 350 on base percentage and catch everything and, and be, you know, five or six years in the big leagues and give the Royals everything they need and all that. But I, I don't I don't think it is. But I think I think it'll be a nice spark. Um, and offensively, look, you can't be worse than Jackie Bradley. You just can't. <laughs> Jackie Bradley is one of the worst offensive players in baseball this year. So. Um, yeah, it's it's a fine move. I'm I'm a little bit surprised we haven't seen more. Omaha added five players today. They they called up uh, John Rave. They called up Alec Marsh. They called up Will Klein, and then they also signed Matt Beatty and um, uh, Palacios. I can't Jermaine Palacios to a minor league deal. So they added five guys and they called up one. Unless somebody's going to Double A and we haven't seen it, that's I, I think there's more to come over the next. 24 to 48 hours. Okay, well, that'll certainly be something to watch for this week. Uh, who was your player of the week for last week? You want me to pick a player of the week? <laughs> you, you think that, that this past <laughs> week has a player of the week. That, that's adorable. Um, okay, this is actually kind of crazy. They have one player, one player who posted a weighted runs created plus of above 100. That's incredible. Which, is Edward for the, yeah, for, for the listener, by the way, basically 100 means league average. Yes, average, yeah. Um, he was at 224, so he had a really good week. This is, this is where it gets crazy. Salvi was the number two hitter on the team this past week at 90. Prado was at 87, and I think Bobby Witt was fourth at 63. It might, it might have been 60. He was in the 60s. The Royals' fourth best hitter this week was more than 30% worse than league average. So, the answer is Oliveris. <laughs> he, and he had a really good week offensively. Um, butchered a couple of balls in, in the field, of course, because that, that's what he does. Um, the, the, if you want the look to the future answer, it's Daniel Lynch who gave up three runs in six innings. Those are your two options. <laughs> I, mean, I guess I guess you could have, you could have picked yourself for yeah. you know, watching them. Um, you know, it's funny I could have, but I also uh, uh, I write a lot, right? <laughs> I mean, you guys you guys read it. I only wrote twice last week. That's how bad it was. <laughs> so I don't even think I deserve Player of the Week. I mean, um, we, we always hear about inning eaters and, and eating innings is important. I know Mike Mayer's the eleven two five ERA and the two five WHIP and the two strikeouts in eight innings. It doesn't look good, but he, he pitched eight innings. He did. He it was, I think that was the most on the team, right? Yeah, of last week. Yeah. Yeah, 
Yeah, he led the team in the innings pitch this past week. Um, I think the two strikers, he had four walks, I believe, yes. as well. Maybe five. So, um, yeah, he's... He needs to go on a diet if he's if those are the innings he's eating. Is all. <laughs> he is uh, David Lesky. Never go on a diet when you're checking out David's work. Subscribe right now inside the crown. David, I appreciate the time as always, man. We'll talk to you next week. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks, Derek. All right, that's David Lesky of Inside the Crown joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. One hour down, two to go. We got Case of the Mondays coming up next. You could probably put the Royals on there, but uh, I think we we I don't know kick the the. We, we know them while they're on. down we, enough. Yeah, we you know, know we know they're on there. All right. Uh, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer, Derek Johnson on KLWN. Depend on it. Get long, Bender. I got to get out of here. I think I'm going to lose it. Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Instead of focusing on Monday, it's time to rehash the glory days of the weekend that was right now on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're freaking me out, man. I got a massive headache. Okay, let's just calm down. How am I supposed to calm down? Look around you. With Derek Johnson. When you come in on Monday and you're not feeling real well, does anyone ever say to you, sounds like someone has a case of the Mondays? No. No, man. All right, welcome in to another edition of Case of the Mondays. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. KLWN.com or the KLWN app with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. And first up on your case of the Mondays is Kentucky. Kentucky basketball, specifically. I guess John Calipari, maybe. Maybe he would be the best candidate, honestly, to be on Case of the Mondays here. Yeah. So if you missed it over the weekend, Arthur Kaluma committed to Kansas State yesterday, which obviously a very big get for Kansas State, right? Yeah. Um, he's a kid who... Uh, com- comes from Creighton. I mean, before Kevin McCullough came back, he was probably yeah. close to number one on the board for KU fans. Of course. Come play for KU. Right. So, good player. You know, he's had success, both team success, individual success Obviously, at Creighton. if he was in the NBA draft, he's a, a talented player. Right. And he ended up, I believe, not even visiting Kentucky. No, he did not visit Kentucky. Uh, he had... Yeah. He had some interest there. He had a... I believe he had an Alabama visit scheduled and maybe an Arkansas visit scheduled after the Kansas State visit, but he took the Kansas State visit and then committed. Yeah. Uh, so not great for Kentucky, not great for uh, John Calipari, who currently they have seven players. That is it. They have seven scholarship players on the roster. Well, that sucks, that Calipari. Is, that's insane for Kentucky. To, and five yeah. of the seven, I believe, are freshmen. Yeah. Now, um, listen, I generally speaking, I love it when Calipari gets clowned on. I don't love it as much here because it's to the benefit of Emaw, but you know what? It's fine. Calipari stinks. You suck, John Calipari. Get clowned up. Mm. Yeah, Kentucky's at a point now where it's just like they're losing out battles to everyone, battles that they need to win. Like it's just, it is a problem for them. What's I think going on? Technically, if they are able to get Antonio Reeves to come back, they'd be up to eight players. Yeah, I think. Yeah, which would be helpful. Um, but like <laughs> that—that's the thing because if it's K, like, if K had only seven players right now, what would your level of panic be? Uh pretty panicked, probably, <laughs> right? Because okay, think about it. Like uh, most of them being freshmen too, they have they have talented freshmen coming in, and yeah, yeah of course, like they could still be good if the it freshmen is, are really it is, talented. Yeah, it is the number one recruiting class, but it does basically it, it leaves you with two things. One, it basically means that they need some of those freshmen to be like Anthony Davis level freshmen, which to count yeah. on that is probably not great. Two, even those past great teams that have had you know teams filled with great freshmen, you've had veteran players on the team. Like for instance, the Anthony Davis team had uh, Daron Lamb, who's a senior, Darius Miller, who's like a senior, you had Terrence Jones, the sophomore. Well, but at that now point. think about if you're Kentucky, think about trying to sell a more veteran player and be like, hey, 
you're going to come in and have to work with a bunch of freshmen. And you're going to have to be the leader of these of these clowns. Good luck. That's 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 Kentucky's selling point. Well, not good for them. It is big for Kansas State, though. I mean, they now have, yeah. you know, Arthur Kaluma, Tyler Perry, Naquan Tomlin. That's a real to, good one, two, three. I'm not going to try to rewrite history and be like, oh, Arthur Kaluma actually stinks. Because, listen, KU, like I said, prior to Kevin McCuller announcing his return, Kaluma was probably in the top two or three of guys that KU would have liked to have on their roster. So he's certainly a good player. That being said, I think perspective-wise for Kansas State, like Arthur Kluma and Tyler Perry are objectively worse than Keontae Johnson and Marquise Noah. So unless Naquan Tomlin ends up, takes like a huge, huge leap, that means the top part of their roster is not as good as last year. And then what, you're gonna you're relying on like David and Gesson and Cam Carter to be a lot better also? So I still think... Kansas State is due to probably regress a little bit from last year, but they still, at this point, at this stage, I would say they're still probably in the discussion of being like a top five to six team in the Big 12. Yep, I would agree. Okay, uh, Miami Heat are having a case of the Mondays, although they'll feel a lot better tonight if they can come through with a Game 5 victory and send it to uh, sure, six. So this is what, an early case of the Mondays? But the, Well, this the is more so just, I mean, they for, did oh, lose on Friday. No, they did lose Friday night. So over right? the weekend, they did, it was, yeah. 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 They did lose okay, on Friday, yeah. and then there was this story that came out too. The Heat's mascot, this is, this is awesome. Yeah, Bernie, had to go to the ER after the game um, last night because there was a... So it was a, a bit it was during a staged, the game. Yeah, there was yeah. a staged like halftime show basically that involved Conor McGregor. He was promoting, I think, something, some new product or something. He was promoting something, or maybe, or maybe it was the fact that he's coming back to fight. He's promoting his pain relief spray. Yeah, that's what it was. Okay, he's promoting his pain relief spray, and in the bit, he quote unquote punches the mascot Bernie. Well, apparently, Conor McGregor took that a little too far. And knocked this dude out. Well, didn't knock him out, but caused him to have enough injuries to where doctors were like, hey, check this guy out. I think it's the second punch. If you watch the video, he like uh, they're, they're sparring at each other and he hits him. And he gets knocked to the ground and he just like smacks him. <laughs> Which is like, you know, the, the, the puffy costume that's around him is not going to just... Classic uh, just hammer fist. Okay, I will say though, I think this is... Uh, I don't know. I don't want to be mean. I hope this guy's all right and everything. But... This, to me, is a bit of revenge for what mascots do to the little children. When they're playing, uh, like, true. football with the little yeah. kids, and you'll yeah. see, like, the big mascots you know stiff who's the, the little kid. It's the Colts mascot. Yes, that's the, the Colts mascot's the, the worst. We need to bring justice yes. to the Colts mascot. So I'm kind so of I don't know. Do we need to get in contact with Conor McGregor or whoever? Yeah. Go do a halftime thing with the Colts mascot. I agree. And just, just go nuts. <laughs> just go crazy. <laughs> I agree. I agree. This is uh, the same kind of idea, you know? <laughs> Everybody thinks it's all cute and funny when the Colts mascot <laughs> stiff arms the little eight-year-old into the ground. But as soon as Conor McGregor smacks this guy <laughs> in the mouth, it's like lawsuit. Okay, well, what are we doing here? Where's the line? Uh, 100% all right. agree. Uh, Kirk Cousins is having a case of the uh Okay, this is hilarious. Mondays. So Cam Jordan was speaking at, I guess, so Von Miller had some sort of pass rush summit or whatever, like a pass rush camp type thing. And Cam Jordan was speaking. And this video emerged of Cam Jordan giving a speech to presumably some some young pass rushers, and this is what he says. He's talking about the he's talking about the importance of speed as a pass rusher, and he says slow right decisions. We love them. We being pass rushers, we love slow right decisions. We call them Kirk Cousins. So he's basically saying that 
if even if you're right but you're slow, you suck. And we like that because it's Kirk Cousins. So the whole quote is like he says like, you know, if you're fast and right, that's great. But even if you're fast and wrong, that's better than being slow and right. And then he says, we love slow right decisions. We call him Kirk Cousins. <laughs> so basically he's saying Kirk Cousins is slow, and even if he makes the right decision, he sucks. Yeah. No, it's like that's that's the ultimate thing about Kirk Cousins' game. It's like he'll check but down. Like, dude, and it's like, imagine- okay, he was right to make that check down, but he took too long to do it, and now he gets two yards. Okay, but know? imagine you're Kirk Cousins. You're having a nice Sunday, a nice Sunday afternoon or Monday, whatever. You're chilling on your couch, and then your phone just starts blowing up with messages about how Cam Jordan, just for no for inexplicably no reason is just firing shots across the bow right at you. Bam! Imagine that being Kirk Cousins. Yeah. I. Uh, at the end of the day, he probably just pulls up his bank account and is like, ah, <laughs> I'm fine. But yeah, man, just unwarranted. Uh, unwarranted. I don't know, maybe a little warranted. Okay, uh, Nevada, among other states, is having a case of the Mondays today. This was uh, an article about states most likely to survive an alien invasion. Ooh. Hmm. So this was based on, they, they give a survivability score um, from NewJerseyCasino.com. I don't know, you know, but uh, nonetheless, a uh, bunch of different factors. Population density, number of UFO sightings, landscape, like are there caves, forests, water, bodies of water, whatever. Defense, uh, defense, I guess, uh, per capita military or law enforcement there to come up with the survivability rankings. And um, Virginia was last on the list. They ranked 50th. So that, so that or, means or they're sorry. least likely to survive? Or I'm sorry. Nevada was 50th. Virginia was number one. Um, I completely missed those up. Uh, oh, Nevada. Okay, okay. Nevada was the the worst. They the were least likely to survive an alien invasion. Yes, least likely to survive. Now, if you're wondering, Kansas ranked 15th, so that's good. We got better than you know. This won't make you happy. Missouri's number eight. Well, whatever. They just have more crazy good people. Job, so yeah, you know that's what's going to get. But yeah, Virginia is number one. They would well, be most likely okay, to survive. I think it makes a lot of sense that Nevada would be the worst because they have Area 51. Right. So the aliens It'd be the hub. Exactly. The aliens would be, I would think, if I'm an alien, would you not want to attack Area 51 to free all of your alien buddies? Doesn't that make the most sense? Yeah. So if you're getting the Jailbreak. brunt of the attack, then yeah, you're least likely to survive. Yeah. 100%. Mo- most of the city or the uh, states that are around Nevada are the worst ones, too. Like, um, Oregon is 45th. Idaho is 47th. Uh, Arizona's 49th. New Mexico is in the 40th. Like- well, also, think about those states. There's nowhere to hide. <laughs> You're just in a desert. What are you going to do? Yeah. You just keep running. Aliens like, oh, I see this guy running in the desert. I wonder where he's going to run to. Oh, I'll tell you, he's going to run into more desert. There's I'm nowhere su- to hide. I'm surprised Texas is only 16th. I feel like Texas could take out some aliens. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know, though. I feel like I feel like maybe they would be too... They, they, they wouldn't be able to come together. Yeah. You know what there, I'm there might be a strong correlation here between... Uh, college football recruiting and which states would be the best. Like, think about this. Some of the best college football um, areas for recruiting, like Georgia, they're number two on this. Alabama, they're number nine. Florida, they're number 13. Louisiana, number five. Texas, number 16. California is in the top 20. So what? what's the correlation? I'm just, I, I think that there is uh, just a correlation of <laughs> if you have... If you have, what, like athletic... I guess, maybe you're better off. Young people that can fight the aliens? I guess. I'm really, I don't, listen, I was with you, I was mm. with you, and then you lost me. I think the pieces are there, I just don't know how it correlates. 
<laughs> okay, uh, case of the Mondays for Inter Milan. They uh, lost to Man City in the Champions League final. Did you watch any football over the weekend? No. No? I didn't. Okay. And get, to be quite honest with you, I didn't even know that the Champions League <laughs> final was, was happening. I mean, okay, I knew it was happening. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know what, what was going on, though. Well, Manchester City won the treble. I don't know what that means. It's the a big treble deal. clef? Like Very music? big deal. Very big deal. You know, like the treble um, clef where in music where it's like you play and it's like... No, it's like it's like the equivalent of when KU basketball... Is it like the triple crown? Sort of. It's like it's like when KU basketball, when they win their non-conference tournament, then they win the conference, okay. then they win the NCAA tournament. Okay. Or I guess maybe it would be better if I said they win the conference regular season, conference tournament, Listen, and I don't want anybody to NCAA. think that I like hate soccer or I'm anti-soccer. Soccer is fine. It's just... I just don't really care about international soccer. Mm. I'm sorry. I just don't. I just really, I don't. Do you care about American soccer? Yeah, sure. American soccer's fine. Do you? Are you yeah, watching always. a lot of MLS? I, I'm more likely to watch an MLS game than I am to watch okay. something else. When's the last soccer. time you watched an MLS game? That's a good question. Well, the better question is when's the last time I watched an international game, which would have been the World Cup. I'm just I saying, I, I think then. your answer there is probably neither. Neither soccer. Like, by the way, the women's but world I don't, cup. But I don't, up, but I don't not care about soccer. Like <laughs> soccer's fine. Right. I don't have any problems with soccer. I just don't actively watch it. All right. Uh, the XFL is having a case of the money. Honestly, this could be a Dwayne the Rock Johnson thing. Uh, the XFL lost an estimated sixty million dollars in twenty twenty three. The reason I say it could be a Dwayne the Rock Johnson thing on Case of the Mondays here was um, he the owner? He's one of the like owners of the league. So he lost. I mean, literally, the picture on this sporting news article is. <laughs> Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Uh, he also, like, his movie Black Adam kind of tanked in theaters. He was saying he was never going to be in Fast and Furious again and then came back and did it anyway. Um, yeah, the show, can't, like... can't turn down Fast and Furious. Yeah, what was the show about him like, as a kid? Little Rock or something? Or what? Rock Jr.? What? You know what I'm talking about? No. They had I a TV show. making crap up. They had a now. TV show. No. Yes, they did. It was on, like, up. network TV. You're just... Young you're Rock. Just absolutely making it was called up. Young Rock. I don't agree. It started in 2021. It I got canceled. I don't agree. So well, just I'm glad it got canceled. Everything Sounds The Rock terrible. is going downhill right now. Listen, The Rock is going to be fine, okay? And also, why are you attacking The Rock? The Rock I'm not. I'm just you stating to, things. The Rock can smash you to pieces. I'm just stating So, things. like, if you want to... Like, of all the people that you could go after... The Rock. That's the one you want. To, that's that's oh, the one I you want to go The Rock is going to be president at some point, you know. And he could also break every single bone in your body in five. Yeah, yeah and you want to go after that guy? I'm not going after him. It I'm sounds just like you are. You know, You're listing all of no, his failures. I think we should have empathy for him. Is what I'm basically saying. There well, are now, a lot of bad things. Now you're just that are trying to backpedal because you know he could break all your bones. No, I I'm just telling you the facts of what happened. You know. Yeah, but it's all about The Rock. It's all negative things to The Rock. Why didn't you talk about any what, positive things? What do you want me to say? Oh, it's good he lost $60 million. It's good. It's good his <laughs> shows got canceled. No, that's even it's worse. okay. No, that's even Everything's worse. Everything's great. That's even worse. Because yeah. then you're like, then you're exactly. reveling in his failure. So I'm not going to lie. I'm not, I'm not reveling in anything. Uh, the world versus Serbia is having a case of the Monday. So the rest of the world, non-Serbian <laughs> countries. Okay. Serbia only has 0.1% of the world's population. And okay. yet they have the best player in the NBA right now, and they have the best player in maybe all time in tennis. How how does that happen? Mm. How? I, I'm not sure, to be honest. I'm not sure. Probably because, I don't know. I mean... I don't know what to tell you. I, got, I, I have nothing on Serbia. I don't know. Okay. I, I feel like you're wanting me to say something, and I'm just nothing's mm. coming to me. No, that's fine. Serbia. 
to that note, Adidas is having a case of the Mondays because in 2009, Adidas dumped Novak Djokovic, who had won um, one Grand Slam at the time. They went to go to Andy Murray instead. Murray won two slams in Adidas before switching to Under Armour. Since he switched to Under Armour, Djokovic has won 22 Grand Slams. That's pretty good. Pretty darn good. That's pretty good. Yeah. But hey, Adidas has KU, so they're fine. <laughs> right? True. But again, they're probably not feeling great about that decision. <laughs> Could be in much better shape. All right, last one here. Case of the Mondays for Canada. Uh, first of all, in the 2023 Under-16 FIBA Americas Championship, Team USA beat Canada 118-36. to There was a lot of talk like, oh, Canada's closing the gap a little bit. Like, you have your Andrew Wiggins and um, RJ Barrett to the world. Like, they've had good players come from Canada lately. Um, but, yeah, it seems like the gap has been reopened back up, 118 to 36. And, and if I'm not mistaken, uh, I believe that's the largest margin of victory of all time in a U16 game. Probably. I'm pretty sure it is. And then there was the RBC Canadian Open this weekend. Nick Taylor won the event. He's actually the first Canadian to win the event in, like, 70 years. So that was well, actually a good thing for, good Canada. for Canada. But here's why. Adam Hadwin, a fellow Canadian golfer who finished 12th in the event, as soon as Taylor hits this long putt to win the event, 72 feet. awesome event. Yeah, 72 feet, like you said. Um, he runs on with some champagne and is like trying to spray and celebrate with his friend, assumedly, and, you know, former Canadian to win the Canadian Open. And a security did you say guard. Former Canadian? Did I say former Canadian? I think you did. Former and current Canadian. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> um, so he, he's going out there to spray him with, and a security guard just thinks he's like some rando <laughs> on the street, some like fan who's like running up, which, uh, first of all, if you're the security guard, what are you thinking? Why, how did this guy get champagne if he's just yeah, a random person? Anyway. I'm not really sure. And he just decks him, just completely destroys him. So not not the best weekend for Canada. First of all, Chiefs, give that man a call. Get him a contract. Make this guy a linebacker. And then uh, I mean, LDT, he was, he was awesome. worked out, yeah. Canadian. He he was awesome. Perfect form tackle, excellent defensive play. I mean that's that is a NFL eight level play that he made. Now unfortunately it was on a golfer who was had a bottle of champagne. So that's that's the bad part. Yeah. But you know, listen. Would you rather have a security guard be overzealous and do something like that, or would you rather have him just let him just let people just run out and do stuff? I mean, I guess if you have to have the alternative, it's probably that one. But like, why can't it be somewhere in the middle? Why does it have to be one of those two <laughs> things? The security, you're hiring the security guard, and you're like, here's and the he's scenario. Like, he's like, dude, yeah. I'm you're going, at a children's birthday party. I'm he's like, oh, I, to... I break the cake and I knock the kids over. And it's like, well, can we like, ease it back a little I'm bit. I'm going to absolutely blast anybody that comes onto this. Well, okay, that I mean, you don't need to go that far, right? You just need to be secure. It's like, no, I'm gonna, I am going to secure the hell yeah. out of this area. Yeah, so, yeah. just dial like, back. Okay, let's go to an okay. eight. You're at a ten Fine. right now. Uh, he's sure. Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Uh, we have some Travis Goff prep your mark audio from last week. We're gonna share that with you coming up next. You're listening to RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Five o'clock hour, you're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. This is KLWN. I'm Derek Johnson with Nick Springer on today's edition of the show. We're going to have a stupid scale coming up in about 15 minutes from right now. Talking some more, though, the big news of the day, KU football and basketball landing some players. Uh, in the case of basketball, landing a transfer from 
Cal State Northridge will be a preferred walk-on for this next year's team. For football, more about the future. Three commits for the class of 2024, including a four-star today in Austin Alexander. And clearly for football, they're not done, right? I mean, nope. clearly they are looking to keep this up, to build more on this. And I wonder how much of something like this, where you have a big weekend like this as a program, how much of that do you think maybe there's other recruits that you're in the top five, you're in the top three, do you think that turns their heads at all when they see all of a sudden, boom, three guys commit and maybe they, KU, they're still deliberating? And then do you think that affects them at all? Do you think if, if you're a recruit and you see that a school that you are, that's in your top three, they suddenly land like three or four commits in a row consecutively? Do you think that turns their heads and makes them think, hey, that's yeah. pretty cool? Hey, what's going on over there? Yeah. You know? And then maybe you do some more digging and you're like, oh, look at the season they had. They kind of figured, started to figure things out. They play in it. Intra or, or a fun style of play, at least you know on the offensive end, it's hard to kind of dictate that on the defensive end. Um, yeah, man, I I think it can only help, and it only helps too if some of these players, like the uh, the the Desert Edge in in Arizona, for instance, there's they already have a couple with uh, the yeah. uh, Jonathan Kamara and the uh, corner Andre Gibson. Andre I Gibson. Say it was. I don't think the third guy is committed. Is committed yet. yet? No, he hasn't. But KU's in on him, right? Yes. Like yes. that has to help if you have teammates who are. Oh, in yeah. his ear every day, like, oh, man, you should come with us too, right? <laughs> it just Lawrence, keeps the Kansas. ball rolling. It's yeah. a nice place. Yeah. Check it out, except for the hills. But the yeah. hills are generally fine. Mm -hmm. But it does kind of suck. But, you know, I'm not mad about it. Mm -hmm. But, no, I mean, you look at the, the class of 2024 now. They already have eight commits. And realistically, like, what what is how many players is KU going to add to their class? Well, I think probably what, around they, 15. They, yeah, I think they said, right? like, the 15, 16 range. And leave and and leave some open for possible transfers, which makes sense. And this, listen, in this day and age of the transfer portal, you need to leave a certain number of those things, those spots open in case you want to bring in some transfers. So it it, it makes sense, right? And this, it kind of with how the college world is going right now, it makes sense that you would want to say we want to make sure we leave like maybe let's just say throw a number out there eight scholarships that we want to use on transfers. Mm -hmm. We we're all, we want to allocate that. So then we're going to pivot from there and do what we need to do on the high school side, but we're going to we're going to still keep these 8 for transfers. Yeah. So it makes sense. Yeah, well I'm looking now they had uh 14 commits in the class of 2023, but 13 of them like only 13 of them ended up, well, I shouldn't say only, 13 of the 14 ended up making it to campus. The only one who didn't, Jacoby Davis, who's a really good corner commit, he's uh, gray shirting this year. So, like, they'll all join. But, uh, yeah, that means 14 kids. So, I mean, if we just go off that number, that means they, they don't have a ton left to do, which is a good thing. If you're getting most of this done in the off season, as you know, there's not a guarantee everybody stays committed, right? If, yeah. You know, you could have somebody decommit, somebody else recruits him, or if the season doesn't go as, as you planned, if you finish five and seven, does anybody decommit at that point? Who knows? Um, does anybody just have a bad senior season and, and you basically want to get out of them, right? There's a lot that can work here that it's not a guarantee all eight of these players end up on campus next season. But to get a lot of this out of the way now is a positive because once you get in season, yeah, you'll still be recruiting and yeah. keeping in touch with all these guys, but you want to be focused on the season, and that's important. Yeah, and obviously – the the recruiting aspect of this and just this this at this level it's become a 24/7 365 job it really has and so i think you have to give a lot of credit to the KE coaching staff for keeping their heads down and, and continuing to put in that work right because uh you know in the june in june and july that could be months where you want to maybe take a vacation or you want to go you know take a break or whatever 
And KU is pretty much done the opposite. They've pretty much loaded up, especially June, with tons of visits, with tons of guys that they are interested in. And so that that I think that just kind of reemphasizes the dedication that this this coaching staff has and that Lance Leipold has to doubling down on what they did last season and really trying to use that as a catalyst to push them forward even further in terms of recruitment right now and going into next season as well, looking to build on that success. Uh, you know, I mentioned earlier in the show, this is for KU. There's been so many different times where KU will land a big, will land a, a commitment from somebody and immediately your first thought is, well, for how long? Or is this just a flash in the pan, right? Is this just a kind of a one-off like, you you know you were able to you were able to sell one guy on hope on you know he can be the guy and that's it and it doesn't really mean that much no nah, that's not really what's going on right now that's not really what's happening mm-hmm. with 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 how things are currently trending so it's a very very exciting time for KU on the football side and and it just makes me even more happy that uh, we're getting closer to college football yeah absolutely it's, but also uh, sad because we're still like i think what 80 days 10 weeks from friday so, so what is that? Probably about seventy-four days at this point, seventy-five okay. days, somewhere in that range. Okay, seventy-five days. Yeah, something like that. Dude, um, that sucks. <laughs> well, I think when you look at how this affects the class too, uh, yeah, the interior offensive linemen with Harrison Utley, like they'll probably still continue to recruit offensive line. You can never have enough of those. Yeah. You look to the corner position, and now you have Andre Gibson, who, who we mentioned, you know, That's from the Arizona. That they're clearly, and now right with now. with Anderson uh, coming or in, Alexander. or Alexander, I'm sorry, yeah. coming in. Um, I wonder if they'll be done at corner. I guess you could always add another DB. Maybe somebody becomes a safety at some point in time. Who knows? Maybe even somebody you know converts to receiver. I don't know. Um, well, listen, it makes sense that you're you're hitting that area hard because think about it. Kenny Logan is for sure gone after this year. OJ Burroughs is going into his junior season. You look at your corner position. Kobe Bryant and Melo Dotson both going into you know their upperclassmen seasons, so it makes sense that you need to Kalen make Gervin's sure. Gervin's gone after yeah, the year, exactly. You need to make sure that you're bringing in some younger guys that have a year or two underneath the veteran guys you have now. That that way you can just kind of continuously flow through that. Right, and ideally you're not, you know, you're excited about the recruit coming in, but then you're not hearing about them contributing to the team till maybe year two or maybe year three because. Yeah. You have good guys in front of them that it's hard for them to get on the field, and they get that time to develop genuinely. It's obviously such a different conversation from basketball. Right, yeah. right. Uh, but you you are making yourself a nice nest egg. I mentioned Jacoby Davis. He's gray-shirting. Like, he has some talent there. Uh, there there's some good DBs that they've recruited over the past couple of years. Even a guy like Demarius McGee, who you brought in as a transfer from LSU, former you know high-star guy. Like, he might get on the field some this year, but probably not going to be as much as he does in another year when he could end up being like a starter at that point. Yeah. Um, you're, you're building that night nice nest egg, excuse me, um, which is so important because this isn't just about KU reaching the destination of, Oh, we made a bowl game. Everything's good and swell. Like exactly. it's all good. It's sustaining that it's making bowl games every year. It's trying to raise the program from there and move from making a bowl game to contending for the big 12 to winning seven, eight, nine games in a season. And to do that, you have to constantly fold in classes behind it that, you know, not everybody's going to hit. Not everybody might make it. there committed. Uh, some players might transfer out in the end. Some players might get injured and unable to, to play through it. But the more good players you bring on, and projected to be good players, which right now you're you're bringing in a haul. Six of your eight commits are top 1,000 kids. 
the better chance you're going to have to sustain what you're trying to do right now. That's it's so critical. Yeah. Well, so critical. Listen, this is new territory for KU fans. Okay, everyone always dreamed about making a bowl game, but did anybody ever dream about the season after or what's <laughs> going to happen after that? That's a good point. No, it's you, like, no, this is new territory. Yeah. It's like okay, we well, you just made a bowl game. Well, what do you do? Well, luckily. Lance Leipold is a proven program builder and understands. Okay, that was step one. Now we're going to push forward. Now we're going to keep doing what we, what, you know, we're going to keep going forward, right? Whereas, like from the fan perspective, this is like new territory. Like, what what are we doing? We don't even know. Nobody even thought past the idea of making a bowl. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, if if you're able to, which is why it's so important that Lance Leipold is the coach at KU because right. he, he he's a guy that does understand this. He's a guy that has proven himself to be able to build programs. He understands the steps needed to continue to elevate a program to where it, he wants it to go. So that's yeah. that's that what that's what that's what really really makes Lance Leipold so important in this equation. Yeah, I mean you you look back over the past decade plus, usually the most top thousand kids Kansas getting in class five six. Well, because look know. at it this way, let's they already say, have six. There, there's a chance they could get to double digits. Think about that. <laughs> I mean this this could seriously like. I, I don't like to give hyperbole, and I'm not going to say this is guaranteed to happen, but right now you're on pace that you have given yourself a chance at re- seriously doing this. You have a chance at getting the best KU football recruiting class since like cr- recruiting rankings started in yep. like the early yep. 2000s, basically. Yeah, but I wanted to circle back to the Lance Leipold thing real quick. I just want to say this. Let's say hypothetically in the upside down, bizarre world, <laughs> somehow, some way, David Beatty puts it together for a season for KU, and they go 6-6, six and six and they make a bowl, okay? How confident would you be that David Beatty would know mm. or understand or be able to build off of that going back, like after a season like that? Uh, probably not great, but it's it's not even just about the play because David Beatty did bring in some good players. That's, that, well, that's what I'm you saying. Know, so did Les Miles. That's what I'm but saying. But then they didn't develop them. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. So it didn't. So even though you know you did well, maybe you did well on the recruiting trail, ended up not mattering because you didn't have a blueprint. You didn't maybe fully understand the steps required of where you needed to go, just from the beginning, right? Whereas with Lance Leipold, I think pretty much all KU fans, I would say, feel very confident. That Lance Leipold has a blueprint, he has a plan, he understands what needs to be done, he understands what steps need to be taken to elevate KU and from not just being a, a fun story of, you know, in 20 years, oh, remember that one one-off year where KU magically made a bowl game? Oh, yeah, that was fun. Now we're 1-11 every year again. No, that's not, that's, not, that's not going to be the narrative here. Yeah, no, I think that, that's very fair. Uh, real quick on the, on the basketball commit, KU gets uh, Chris Carter who is a guard transferring in from Cal State Northridge. And you said earlier in the show you think they're done. Are they done? This is, yes. it. this is it. Well, I'm just I'm just tired of asking the question. I'm going to give an answer. They're done. Okay. They are done. So no more. That was enough for them. They were just like, hey, we, we landed a kid who, you know, he can, he can sort of be like a scholarship player, but he's not on scholarship. So we get a player who, you know, realistically, Chris Johnson wasn't going to play. He wasn't really going to be a part of the rotation. This kid's probably not either, but he does give us more depth. He does give us another body to, to practice with. And now we kill off another scholarship from the self-imposed sanctions. Yes. And I, yes. I continue to maintain, I don't really think, because by you killing off all three in the same year, that basically means that, oh, now next year you can have 13 scholarships as opposed to having 12. I don't think, think that there's that big of a difference between having 12 or 13th guy. Maybe I think not. that still would be beneficial to adding an 11th one there. Now, one thing we didn't get to in the open is how this affects Bo Aldrich specifically, who was who's the kid from Topeka that yeah. 
KU expressed some interest in. He actually took a visit last or over the weekend, and it felt like it was maybe a good fit. Another guy that was is kind of really similar to Chris Carter in terms of more of an athletic guy who maybe you could develop over time. A local guy who was from from all accounts has loved KU and KU's his favorite school and whatnot. Does that affect the likelihood of Kansas possibly adding him? I would think so, at least for this year. I mean, the, you think it has to. The beauty of Bo Aldridge, though, is that he can also be a class of 2024 kid. Right? So you can push him back. Um, but I guess you could bring him on with, with scholarship if you want. I, I do think there's an even higher ceiling there with Aldridge than Carter. And, and like, Aldridge is a three-star. Carter, I don't think, uh, was listed on, like, the recruiting rankings. So I think there is more there. If, if you had an either-or, I think you take Aldridge. But who knows? Maybe, maybe uh, he has to go to the prep school for whatever reason. I, I think that this impacts it in terms of I would imagine this means no Bo Aldridge this year, but I guess I wouldn't necessarily rule it out for twenty twenty. Because they're also like the same position, right? Carter is yeah six. I mean six four one eighty. He's more of probably like a combo guard, whereas with Aldridge he is kind of a combo guard. But I think you could also play him at the two or three. So they, yeah, they're very close. Um, but I think also if you bring on Aldridge, there's the idea of with Aldridge it would probably be on scholarship. And your hope that by year three, year four, he's impacting the rotation with Carter because he is a walk on. Yes, he does have a higher potential than most other walk ons. Like maybe he can be a Christian Moody or Connor Tehan that eventually does crack the rotation by the time he's done. But you're not expecting it because he's a walk on. So, yeah. you know, cl close enough. Uh, but yeah, I, I do think that would probably end that. Um, we'll see if they do add an 11th player. I, I do tend to agree with you that I feel like they are kind of done. They're done. At this point. They are done. I'm declaring it. But it, last, it has been last time we said that. Next day, Chris Johnson left, and boom, it has not done. been decreed. They're done. All right. We'll see if that ends up being true. We're going to take a timeout. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We got a stupid scale coming up next on KLWN. Depending on it. Into Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. It is time for the stupid scale where we tell you how stupid things are on a scale of, I guess, zero to stupid. One to stupid. I'm going, I think stupid. we should zero to stupid. If you think it's not stupid at all, it's a zero. Okay, zero. Right? That's fine. No, that's fine. Uh, so first up. I mean, everything's a little stupid. Let's uh, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. So it's got to be very hard to be a zero. <laughs> Uh, we, we talked earlier, we had the audio from Travis Goff and Brett Yormark, Kansas-Houston playing a game in Mexico City. We've talked a lot about this over the past couple shows, but what yeah. officially are you giving this? Okay. I think because you're picking Kansas, which is the premier, I guess, basketball uh, school in your conference, and Houston is like one of the closer-ish schools to Mexico, Here here's where the stupid scale starts to spike up a little bit, though. Is in the release when they say they list all the schools that are within 400 miles of Mexico, but they're like 1,500 miles of Mexico City. Okay, Mexico City's pretty far south, so they're not actually that close. So the stupid scale kind of jitters on that one. I mean, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I think this is this is like a pre-stupid to me, right? So I don't really think it's that stupid that they're playing in Mexico City, but I feel like it has the the potential to devolve into more stupidity further down the line. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? So I'm, I'm going to go with like a two. Just, like just in a vacuum, playing a game in Mexico City, I don't think is that stupid. So two. Okay. I yeah. I, but there is potential. We need to issue a stupidity watch yeah. on this. Okay? <laughs> okay. I, I think that's fair. I just like, yeah. I don't. I don't know how stupid it is. I don't know how smart it is either. Right? 
Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I feel like it's overthinking yourself, and it's it's not a necessity. It's just it's just doing too much, right? It's it's doing something that's not maybe needed. it's just having a little fun. But yeah, I guess I don't know how stupid it is. Like I don't know that it hurts anything. I don't know that it makes yeah, anything worse. In a vacuum, I think it's pretty fine. But I guess also you're taking away a game from what could be a ruckus college environment at either Allen Fieldhouse or at Houston's Arena. In what could be two top ten opponents? I mean, I, I don't know how good both teams will be next year, right? It's it's another year in advance, not this next year, it's the year yeah. after. Um, so I'll Done. I'll give it a four. Stupid watch. I, I do issued, like that. Like I have issued a stupid watch again. If the situation like what happens to the San Francisco Giants when they were playing their Mexico City series then against it, the Padres, it increases, yes. where the whole team got the runs afterwards, it increases. Then yes, the stupid CL goes up. Like imagine if it causes like a KU player to miss like a the yes. conference opener or something. Bad. Also, the fact that it's not actually a conference game that it doesn't Does that count increase that, the stupid skill I think for so. You? I'm gonna actually raise it up four and a half. <laughs> four and a half is my answer there. Uh, KU's first two football games being on a Friday. Yeah, this is tough. Uh, I okay. I'm going to separate this into two categories. The first category is like for the average KU fan. For the average KU fan, I think it's probably fine. Like I don't the now the issue would be uh, if you've already made plans for like the Thursday game or if you already or if, you know if you had already made like I actually know somebody who's a friend of mine who had already started to make some plans for the Illinois game and they had just planned for it to be on Saturday. Well, then they moved it to Friday, so now I know he's had to like kind of readjust some of his hotel planning and things like that for coming to the game. So that's that's kind of annoying. But I think for the average fan, it's generally fine. Uh, it gives you an excuse to take off work, take a half day on Fridays, uh, you know, or maybe take a whole day on Friday and say, screw it, we're going to tailgate the whole day, whatever. Uh, and I think for the average fan, it's good because also – you get to watch all the games on Saturday. So, for the average fan, I don't think it's that stupid, really. Maybe like a, a one. I guess I think I have to put a one or two at least, just because of the fact that there is some inconveniencing that's occurring there. So I'll go two. For us personally at the station, which we've highlighted this, this is like a seven. <laughs> I mean, this is pretty stupid because you're screwing over local high school coverage basically for two whole weeks, and. It's going to put a lot of undue and unnecessary stress and pressure on us personally to try to figure out how we're going to coordinate all that all that stuff. So it just creates a logjam of, of coverage and of and it and to go back to the fan thing, it does potentially take away a little bit from your in-person attendance at KU games because if Lawrence High or Lawrence Free State High happens to have a home game one of those two weeks, which I'm guessing one of them probably does, at least one of those one of those times. I think it's pretty unlikely they're both going to be on the road for two consecutive weeks, right? So you could be potentially losing some possible fans in seats because they want to, you know, they might have a son or they might have a family member or whatever playing at Lawrence or Free State High, and they're going to go to that instead of the KU game. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, I don't know. So I, the, for us personally, it's like a seven. Yeah, for us personally, I'm going nine. Um, <laughs> for yeah, the whole thing, like there, yeah, there are the certain positives of. Yeah, you're, you're, the game against Illinois is whatever, primetime and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, you're, you're not going to reap the benefits of certain aspects of the primetime in terms of like high school kids watching and yeah. Yeah, for the recruiting perspective of it, obviously. You. It feel, okay, it feels like you're doing too much just to have one game on primetime. I agree. I agree. 
When in reality, just let it be authentic. Just win your games, and yeah. then you'll you know what I mean. Like yeah. later in the uh, so I don't know. Okay, that's, that's fair. Yeah. Um, I gave the Mexico City one a four and a half. Yeah, you've been pretty high on the stupid scale. This one bothers me even more to a certain standpoint, <laughs> but there's another part of me that bothers me less because it's it's more natural than the first thing. So I'll just give it the same four and a half. Okay. Okay. Uh, digging up stuff like this. This was a article. Uh, about a headless vampire, his remains or hers, I don't know, were discovered in 1800s Polish mass gravesite that they dug up. Okay. First of all, why are you digging up a gravesite? I know. That's so the that, problem. That in, of itself, that in and of itself is stupid. And then, first of all, how would you even determine that it's a vampire? I have a lot of questions. Okay, so uh, um, basically they dug it up and there was an an- there were a bunch of anti-vampire items that were unearthed. This is in northern Poland. Okay, so basically road construction. So the people discovered that this person was a vampire. They presumably persecuted that person or killed them. Yeah. And then put a bunch of anti-vampire stuff in their grave so that they wouldn't come back I guess, and kill them. Yeah, this is by an 18th century church. Many of the 450 bodies appeared to have been exhumed and reburied with experts believing superstitious family members dug up their loved ones and decapitated them to end the vampire curse. Oh. Several wow. of the deceased had a skull between their legs and a coin in their mouth, a sign of the anti-vampire rituals common in the 19th century. That's actually wild. And now they're digging them all up. Okay. Yeah, I don't know why we're digging I don't know why we're, we're, we're digging this stuff up. This seems pretty stupid. I mean, this has got to be like at least an 8, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what's the You're purpose? Messing with vampires? Like, yeah, why? they're doing like road construction. Is that worth it? Is having no having a bigger road? Is no. that worth it's vampires? Not worth, it's not worth having vampires. No, I agree. I'm telling you right now, it's yeah. not. Uh, I'll go. I'll go seven. I'll go seven. At least we know how to kill vampires, sort of. I don't know. They could be superhuman. Not really. Never catch them. Do, do you know how to kill vampires? It's just like steak to the heart, right? I guess. I don't know. Okay. Or garlic? Is garlic? Does garlic? I think kill garlic vampires? just fends them off. Oh, they don't like garlic. I don't oh. like garlic either. Does that mean I'm a vampire? Ooh. Well, it's not that you're a vampire, but you're not going to be as protected oh. against the vampires. So that's a problem. Well, I can still, I, I mean, I'm not allergic to garlic. I can still have it. I'm just not going to eat it. Do I need to eat it to be protected? I think so. Yeah. What? You have no, to have I garlic just, breath. I thought you just like waved no, it around. I think, I think you have garlic breath. I thought you just held the garlic like in your Dracula hand and like. Dracula comes up and ah, tries to suck hey, your blood yeah. and he's like, oh, wave it, I hate garlic ah, breath. Ah, you know, you just no, wave it around. No. What? Uh, the Minnesota Vikings released Dalvin Cook. Where does that register? Yeah, this is a weird one. Uh, okay, what I'm actually more curious about is who's going to overpay him. Uh, what team is going to sign him and overpay him? That's what I'm more interested in. This is like, honestly, you could make an argument this is kind of smart from the Vikings, right? Running back is a position that is not that important. You can get good running backs that are younger and cheaper, a lot cheaper. And so paying an older veteran running back I would say this one has been proven to be fairly unwise right would you agree I think so so this is kind of smart I guess if they already paid him though that makes it more stupid yeah so basically they're cutting him though to avoid having to pay him for the future right they already did pay him a little bit Yes, they already paid him a good amount. Okay, this is like a... I think it's like $11 million a year is what he's... he's okay, this is like a... Know. I'm going to say this is like a three. I don't know. I don't think it's that stupid. No, I don't think it's that stupid either. They have a, a good enough backup in, in Alexander Madison that... Um, 
I think they're going to be fine. It just is crazy the times in the NFL where now it is li- like it's not like Dalvin Cook completely fell off last year and he had 700 yards and was injured. He had like 1,200 rushing yards. You know what I mean? You don't yeah. you don't see this happen too often. Yeah. Um, so I I guess I. I don't think it's like that stupid. I agree. It's the running back position. Issue, I, I think, think this is another one where you need to issue a stupid watch. Keep an eye on it sure. because it's possible that if he goes and is like an all-pro running back to some other team, it looks pretty stupid. Yeah, and, and you end up with Kirk Cousins not having a good running back, and, and how does that affect things for that specific and then team? It, it turns out that yeah. he gets exposed for being bad. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how about this one? The Jacksonville Jaguars... Um, could play at the stadium that holds the Daytona 500 during stadium renovations. So right now, their uh, TIAA Bank Field is um, undergo or, or it could be undergoing proposed renovations that they're, they're trying to get they're, passed through. Their current stadium. Yes, their current stadium. And so they're meeting to soon discuss the potential at playing at the facility, which is about 92 miles south of their current stadium. So on its own, it's already far away. That's an hour and a half away, right? Um, but it does hold over 100,000 people. Yeah, I mean, do you know how big Daytona is? It's massive. By the way, other sites mentioned include the nearby 11,000-seat baseball stadium that houses their AAA affiliate, a 9,400-seat stadium at the University of North Florida. No, I think this makes sense. Does it not? Um. Yeah, I mean, what else are you going to do, right? Yeah, I mean... If you have to play 90 miles away, you have to play 90 miles away. Unless you want to play at some D2 school with 10,000 fans. I think if this was specifically about one of those, them playing at North Florida with a 9,400-seat stadium, the stupid scale would go way up, right? Probably, but that does yeah. suck. I mean, think about that. That would be well, like the equivalent. Dude, how, of, hard is it to just, how hard is it to just schedule your renovations to where you don't have to do that? I guess. What if they, what if they announced so the So that's Chiefs- really the stupid part. What if they announced the Chiefs were going to be playing in Manhattan? That would be like the equivalent of what the Jaguars would be playing in in the Daytona 500, like as far away as it would be. That'd be weird, First right? First of all, you realize that the, the, the Daytona Motor Speedway, it's not called the Daytona 500. No, I don't care. It's motor, it's just no, speedway. I want to keep calling it Daytona 500. <laughs> that's, that's an event at Daytona. That's not what it's called. Uh, the, the most noteworthy event at, <laughs> at that place, at the Daytona 500, you know? <laughs> Anyway, I I don't know. I'll give this a I'll give it a four. I'll give it a four as well. I, I think another stupid watch needs to be issued here, in case they choose to do something else that mm-hmm. might be more stupid. Okay. But the the real issue I have here is why don't you just be normal like every other <laughs> stadium and just schedule it to where it it doesn't interfere with anything? Mm-hmm. What I don't understand. What's the issue? Wonderful question. Yeah, just do the work in the offseason. I don't know. Yes. All right, he's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. That's the Stupid Scale. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. Thanks for listening to the Best of RCST podcast. And a reminder, you can catch our show Monday through Friday from 3 to 6 live on KLWN and Lawrence, 101.7 FM, 1320 AM, or anywhere you're online at klwn.com or the KLWN app. Thanks for listening.